0: welcome to Upstage the Podcast, your regular dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. Apologies that there was no episode last week. I was on holiday and it's just, we were so busy. We're so busy, aren't we? Such busy busy, people. Such busy people. But we're back now. We're back today. We've got lots of theatre news for you. Two weeks of theatre news. And then we're going to start the first in what will hopefully be a series of... Sort of musical theatre through the ages, starting to date with sort of classical musical theatre, the origins of musical theatre, up to sort of the nineteen twenties. Yeah, yeah, hooray! I'm excited. I think this will be good. Yeah, we'll learn. We'll learn stuff. We More will
1: learning, learning yeah. stuff as we go.
0: We will learn a lot. So, starting with theatre news, Abby.
1: Yeah, so as Rachel said, there's a lot that's happened the past couple of weeks. The big West End announcement is that Jamie Lloyd has announced a um, Harold Pinter season and it's going to commemorate 10 years since Pinter's death and it's going to produce 15 plays, I think all one-act plays that Harold Pinter wrote. And it's got a sort of massive cast for the whole season of really Mm. big names, so including... David Suchet, Danny Dyer, Martin Freeman, Tamsin Gregg. So it's kind of all really big names. Say
0: Suchet and again. Suchet. Nice. Very
1: good. Very Suchet good. away. Most of them will be directed by Jamie Lloyd, who is a really great director. He has directed a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. stuff we've seen. He's directed The Assassins that we saw a few years Which ago.
0: Which is incredible.
1: Uh, he directed... I can't even think of the show that he directed that I saw with James McAvoy, but he's an excellent director.
0: Yeah. Was that at Twang um, Studios? Yeah. Mm. I can't I
1: remember can't what it was what called. It no, we need to. like Mad King something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, Tracy ann Obman, Celia Imrie. There's just every every single play has uh, at least one big name in. So it should be should be good. I am embarrassingly unknowledgeable when it comes to Pinter. I, yes, I, me too. I don't too. know a whole lot. But I'll try and get along some of these these plays and learn some stuff. I'm sure you will learn some stuff.
0: What Other else? exciting news is, well, if you like Gloria Estefan, is that On Your Feet, the Estefan musical, based on the music of both Gloria and Emilio Estefan, is coming to the West End next year. It's going to come to the Coliseum from the 14th of June for a limited season. So if you're a fan of Rhythm's Gonna Estefan. Get You, Conga, Get On Your Feet, then you're going to love this show. Probably. I mean uh, we haven't seen it yet, so we can't we, we can't promise anything.
1: I feel like Gloria Estefan's one of those people who you kind of know more songs than you think you know.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: But yeah, I don't I don't have any strong emotional connection to their story, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. Another musical which is coming to London is um, Sylvia, which is a story about the suffragette movie, which combines dance, hip hop, soul and funk. Um, and yeah. yeah, and that's coming to the old Vic in September. And they've just announced the cast for that, which includes um, Beverly Knight as Emmeline Pankhurst,
0: of wow. course. of course.
1: Um, and Carly Borden as Clementine Churchill, Genesis Linnea as Sylvia Pankhurst. So yeah, Good I mean, I, I don't quite know what to take. Winston Churchill's a character, Keir Hardy's a character, H.G. Wells. There's a lot of... Very lot of sort of real life, yeah. It kind of sounds like it might be a British attempt at Hamilton, but a bit more feminist. And well, you know what? That's, if it works, You know, I'm that's not bad, not. yeah. Actually, the biggest West End news, obviously, is who's taking over from Cuba Gooden Jr. in Chicago.
0: <laughs> Go on, tell the people. So,
1: so, obviously, the most coveted West End role mm. of Billy Flynn is going to be played by Martin Kemp. Of Spandau Ballet and EastEnders fame. Martin
0: Martin Kemp. That's Martin Martin Kemp for you. So some sort of international news is that um, John Cameron Mitchell, who created Hedwig and the Ivory Inch, is creating a narrative musical podcast series which is called Anthem. And how that's going to work is it will pair up uh, a team of writers, so a songwriter and a storyteller, for ten episodes. And the first season of this... Um, It's going to star Cynthia Erivo, Patty the Pone, Glenn Close, James Monroe, Eagleheart, Eagle Heart, I've never known. It could be either, couldn't it? It could it be could've... either. Um, and John Cameron Mitchell himself. So they will perform original songs by new songwriters, is how I understand it.
1: That's what I think, yeah.
0: Which is very exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing cast, so I think it'll be interesting to listen to. Yeah. The only other musical podcast I've known of is... Um... 36 questions with jonathan croft starred in with a woman i can't remember who the woman is because you don't care about
0: anyone when he's talking women
1: (laughs) uninteresting but you didn't
0: Um, you didn't love that did you
1: no i I felt like it didn't quite work it was it was okay Mm. but i couldn't i you know i didn't listen to it over i did not think the music was incredible but john cameron mitchell i mean hedwig is amazing yes and i trust him to come up with something that's a bit of more of an interesting concept and with this cast you just know that it's
0: it's gonna be good
1: it's gonna be it's gonna, it's be... gonna be at least very um listenable.
0: exactly enjoyable to listen to if nothing yeah. else
1: so that is coming out later this year
0: some more broadway news is that it's been confirmed that andy carl is replacing steve kazee in pretty woman the musical when it goes to broadway which is both sad but exciting I just assume that Steve Kazee would stay with it I don't know why what the reason yeah, is there
1: I think the line is something to do with family reasons oh
0: interesting okay but very excited Which, about Andy Carl.
1: I think Andy Carl is excellent for me Steve Kazee kind of fit the role better but that doesn't always mean that they're the better performer when it actually comes to it and True. I think it just it says good things about the show that they've got such high caliber performers
0: yes and nice for Andy Carl and wife to be reunited in another show Haven't done legally blonde together. Nice for the two back together. So that is your theatre news for this week. A bumper edition of Theatre News, as it was two weeks worth. So we're now gonna move on to the main portion of proceedings. Why do I always say proceedings? I don't know why I never say that in my daily life. Very formal.
1: We're
0: gonna talk about the origins of musical theatre as we know it today and how it came to be, sort of how theatre changed in the early twentieth century and some of the earliest musicals and how it moved from sort of vaudeville and musical reviews to the musicals that we know and love right now so thinking about the first musical what is widely considered the first musical that sort of conforms to um the modern definition of musical was the black crook which is very very old it was first staged in 1866 incredibly long five and a half hours long
1: just too much It that
0: is too much isn't it far far too much
1: before that what was happening on Broadway and in kind of performance houses and theatres across the Western world was more sort of variety shows, like vaudeville performances, and also, you know, things that are quite racist. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, there's a lot a lot of racism.
1: A lot of racism on the stage mm-hmm. um, with kind of minstrel performances and things. Yes. But what The Black Crook did... That kind of vaudeville variety shows didn't do was have this kind of unifying play and storyline going throughout, and even though it was kind of a bit of a variety act, maybe more so the musical theatre is now, in that there was kind of ballet dancers and drama, people and music you know, there are all these kind of different groups performing mm. this one same show. At least there was this kind of clear narrative throughout
0: joining everything together. Say clear
1: narrative though, this the storyline, as I take from the Faithful Wikipedia, is really weird. Go on, tell us about it. So, it says, Evil wealthy Count Wolfenstein Great name. seeks to marry the lovely village girl Amina with the help of Amina's scheming foster mother, Barbara. The <laughs> um, <laughs> Count arranges for Amina's fiancé Rodolphe, mm-hmm. an impoverished artist, to fall into the hands of Herzog, an ancient crook-backed master of black magic. So he is the black He's crook. He's the black crook. He is. You've got to wonder where they got Barbara. You
0: know? Yeah, everyone's What's like, such a so sh- sh- fancy name, and there's like, and Babs.
1: And ba- Babs from around the corner. <laughs> uh, Herzog had made a pact with the devil. He can live forever if he provides Zamiel with a fresh soul every New Year's Eve, Ooh.
0: as you do. Know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: As innocent Rodolphe is led to this horrible fate, he discovers a buried treasure and saves the life of a dove.
0: Right. Where did the dove come into it?
1: I don't know, I really hope it was an actual live dove though. <laughs> yeah, probably do was. I, do I think a, a man in a dove costume would be better? Yeah. It's just hard to I, say. I think it would be good. The dove magically transforms into human form as Stalacta. Oh! The fair queen of the golden realm. She rewards Rodolphe for rescuing her by bringing him to the fairyland and reuniting him with his beloved Amina. Her army defeats the count and his evil forces. Demons drag Herzog into hell. And Amina and Rodolphe live happily ever after.
0: What a story. What happened to what Barbara? A story.
1: I mean that needs to come back. That needs to come to the West End. We should now.
0: revive The Black Crook immediately. That's what we should do.
1: I'm starting a petition. I mean, it sounds amazing. But obviously not a, a show that has lasted the test of time. No. Really. Sadly.
0: But at the time it was successful. It was. It ran uh, for over a year. Which, yeah. you know, it's it's quite a long time.
1: And it opened in the West End as well. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so for
0: the time, for eighteen sixty six, it did quite well.
1: Pretty damn good.
0: Um and obviously but, from that it inspired a, a whole wave of American musicals, sort of pantomimes, yeah. and also the work of Gilbert and Sullivan, who were very prolific in the late eighteen hundreds, um, with their comic operettas.
1: And they obviously have stood the test of time. Yes. Quite a lot better than the Black Crook.
0: Absolutely. I, don't, I sort of don't think I realised that Gilbert and Sullivan were that old.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't seem that dated, the, the yeah. type of music. Obviously, it's kind of quite classic in a lot of form, but the kind of tunes of certain Gilbert and Sullivan operettas could, you know, have been written a 100 years later, definitely. Yeah. So I guess around the turn of the 20th century, there was a bit more of a blurred line between operettas and musicals in terms of kind of how things are classified i guess because musicals are such a burgeoning genre mm. um, so a lot of shows like gilbert and sullivan and um franz Lehar and um, the merry widow might be pronouncing that wrong um but which was a really really successful show that opened in 1907 on broadway so these shows all had a really big impact they were the big hits of the time and although they may be considered operettas now they were all part of this kind of pathway to the musical theatre world that we that we know today. What's interesting I think about a lot of these shows, even at this time, so with the Black Crook and Gilbert and Sullivan shows and the Merry Widow, is that there was kind of as today, Broadway and West End were not competing but kind of the big theatre centres, and that these shows would open really quickly in both like if they opened in the West End first, they followed in Broadway really quickly, mm. or vice versa quicker than now even so Mary Widow opened the West End in summer of 1907 and then opened in Broadway in October
0: that's crazy
1: even though, but I guess it was only rich people going to the theatre and only rich people would go between New York and London but New York and London back then like for word to get from New York to London yeah, that's a long journey it would take a while
0: interesting that is very interesting, there's no reason for it to take as long as it does now I think
1: no, I mean there is not. There is no reason. Too many cooks—that's what it is. Too many <laughs> producers, Too many. Too many people involved.
0: Incidentally, so the Merry Widow is um, an operetta by an Austro-Hungarian composer, as you said, Franz Lehár, um, and it's still frequently revived today. It's about um, surprisingly a rich widow, and people trying to find her a husband to keep the money in in her principality.
1: A timeless story. I t- yeah,
0: absolutely an issue we have regularly today
1: so there were a lot of american composers who were quite influential in creating a kind of distinctive sound and style for these comedy musical slash operettas of the time whose names haven't necessarily lived on but i guess their impact has so a couple of these with george m cohen and victor herbert
0: there's also around this time that Ziegfeld's Follies and sort of musical reviews like that were extremely popular. Obviously, Stephen Sondheim's musical Follies is based on Ziegfeld's Follies. So musical-ception, a little bit of musical-ception there for you.
1: It's also worth saying that as long as musicals have been around, people basing musicals off of things. So like we were talking a few weeks ago about musicals based on films being all the rage now. So one of the um, big hits... Of the early nineteen hundreds was, I guess, the first musical adaptation of *The Wizard of Oz*, which the book and lyrics were provided by Frank Elbaum himself, so the author of the book. So for as long as musicals have been around, people have just been basing on things they already know.
0: Yeah. Are yeah. going to be. There's no such thing as an original story, is there?
1: No. What I really enjoy about this original *Wizard of Oz* musical is that the story was of Dorothy and her pet cow because um, they thought a dog would be too small to be seen clearly from the balcony
0: Oh, having seen really having seen The Wizard of Oz from the balcony I can confirm that the dog is quite small
1: Don't you wish it was a cow?
0: <laughs> I sort of do wish it was a cow yeah, bring Would it have made back. everything much more clear to me So, musicals continued to develop through the 1900s and into the 1910s, at which point a little-known composer named Irving Berlin sprung onto the scene with his song Alexander's Ragtime Band, which became an absolute international sensation and kind of positioned America as the forefront of popular music for the whole world, basically. Irving Berlin has written so many songs that you'll definitely have heard of, so he wrote um, There's No Business Like Show Business, a classic. He wrote Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better, his songs have been recorded by basically everybody from Frank Sinatra and Barbra Streisand all the way through to Lady Gaga and Quist- Quistina, I just said. Quistina. Christina
1: Aguilera. Quistina
0: Aguilera. Aguilera.
1: Yeah, so obviously his career spanned decades, but his style really defined the sort of early Broadway sound as we know it. Other big names who came on the scene shortly after Irving Berlin were the Gershwin. So Jordan R. Gershwin. George Gershwin's first Broadway musical opened in 1920. So, again, that sort of jazzy, classic old Broadway sound.
0: Mm. Cole Porter was another successful composer of the time. He wrote some great songs. I Get a Kick Out for You is a fantastic song. I've Got You Under My Skin. Begin the Beguine, which I enjoy. And he wrote Kiss Me Kate, actually, which came a little bit later on. But incidentally, that won the first ever Tony Award for Best Musical.
1: Did it? It's just opened in Manchester, I want to say. It has, you're correct. A Um, a revival. It's not only just Reef Manchester. They're not (laughs) that
0: behind. (laughs) We will come to that in the 1940s section, which will come in a few episodes time, because that was a 1948 musical. But yeah, um, Cole Porter was writing for a long time and started in sort of the early 20s, started to achieve success in the early 20s.
1: So all these kind of massive names were coming up alongside the old school vaudeville variety shows, which were still going on in New York at the time. So there was kind of this double life of of Broadway Um, and and the West End, probably. Yeah, we should mention that
0: Noel Coward and Ivan Novello had started writing around this time too.
1: Yes, that's a good point, an excellent point. Thank you very
0: much. So Noel Coward wrote a shit ton of plays and songs and all kinds of things. Um, Yes you know mad dogs and englishman great song um he's written many a play he has a theater named after him so yeah there was activity over this side of the pond as well around that time
1: in the 1920s shows start appearing that you might have heard of today so for example in 1921 shuffle along opened on broadway which will be familiar to broadway fans because it was the subject of the 2016 musical um shuffle along which sort of it was a, a meta look at, at the show itself but also what it was like at the time creating a show that starred a really predominantly um, African-American cast and it launched the career of Josephine Baker so it was a really prominent show that still has an impact today. And then also Funny Face opened in 1927, which is just, it's a great song, great film. Yes. Um, and that opened on Broadway in 1927, which is the same year that um, Show Boat opened, which is um, kind of largely considered as a really kind of groundbreaking, innovative show because it was the first show that tackled a bit of a sort of darker yeah, it was story.
0: a it was a real sort of but departure in, in the way that a musical is told and the story that it told. Um yeah. so it married sort of the spectacle of a musical with like a serious undertone within the yeah. plot. So the we actually saw Showboat, uh, two years ago now. <laughs> in
1: nineteen twenty seven. In nineteen
0: twenty seven. Back when we were we young things. <laughs> yes. Um you know, we saw Showboat in twenty sixteen at the New London Theatre. We we really enjoyed it, didn't we?
1: We did, yeah. I
0: i again did not think it was this old. I had no idea no, that it was. I think
1: it's very surprising. And yeah. it's got, just in case you're thinking, I don't really know Showbo. what do you mean it's a show that everyone knows? Songs you definitely will know like Old Man River and Can't Help Loving That Man. So these songs that became just songbook classics. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we should try and do a little synopsis, but it's.
0: I can try and do a little synopsis. It's hard, it's hard to synopsize. It's set around an actual showboat, which were boats that used to sail up and down rivers with singers and performers. So they there's a showboat called the Cotton Blossom, which docks, Um, I can't actually remember where, somewhere in the south. And the boat's owner has a young daughter, and she becomes very, very smitten with a man that she meets while they're docked. There's also sort of a subplot about the leading lady of the... The group of performers on this showboat, her relationship with her husband um, because she is actually mixed race and is hiding it because she can pass for white and obviously at the time you couldn't be in a um if you were a white man, you couldn't marry a not white woman
1: with that, there's a lot of other storyline about segregation and the racism in the south and the difference in societal kind of placement of people of different races. And all that. So yeah, it is a it's a pretty a pretty heavy storyline.
0: It is a pretty heavy storyline. The production that we saw was fantastic. I thought the cast were great. Um Gina Beck was the captain's daughter. I want to say Rebecca Trahern.
1: Yeah, she was amazing. She was
0: incredible. So yeah, that premiered on Broadway in nineteen twenty seven. It's obviously still revived a lot now. There were no awards for musicals at the time that this first premiered, but it's since gone on to win. Best revival of musical at the Tony Awards and the Olivier Awards so yeah it was very very successful at the time and it's still successful today
1: and then obviously from then Broadway as we know it just kind of took off and blossomed (laughs) and over the next 50 years yeah just
0: became what we know of it today
1: yes so we will try to I think this was I think the the origins of musical theatre are really hard to pin down. It is—it's
0: really because tricky because there's not—it's—it's yeah. it's, there's not there's no one precise musical that kind of. Started this trend. There's no, it yeah. just sort of it was just very slow development with lots of little piecemeal like songs that you might know and shows that you might know in the earlier part of the century. When we get to something like the 1950s, there will be lots and lots of huge musicals to talk about. So, watch out for the next one in this little series. We need a name for this series, I think we do.
1: Yeah, we'll come up with something. We'll come We're up with something. professional, very organized. So Send organized. your suggestions to UpstagePod at gmail.com or uh, tweet us at UpstagePod.
0: Absolutely do. You can email or tweet or Leave us a comment on Instagram or yep. any any of those things. Just just get in touch. Ball bulletin.
1: He's just heading into the final week of chess. Gone very quickly. He has. I'm we- sure he's had a great time. Yeah, um, I hope he's had fun.
0: What I hope role. he has. And he did hope very he well. Do
1: something exciting.
0: Yes, I hope so. I hope oh, this goodness. is just the start of a big year for him.
1: Yeah, um, every year is a big year for Michael. Ball. That's
0: so true. I um have started watching Evil Genius on Netflix, which is great. It's a documentary about. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything. It's about basically a, a bank robbery and um the person responsible being part of a whole web of things beyond the bank robbery. Lots of murders. What
1: are they part of it?
0: I don't know. I've not finished the show.
1: <laughs> neither have I it's so good though it's so interesting i've only watched the first episode so what am i i'm like but i've i've listened to podcasts about this before oh interesting i mean the my favorite murder episode about it
0: interesting interesting but i'm enjoying that i also went to amsterdam last weekend and i can recommend it was very very nice had a very nice time good what have you been up to
1: not a whole lot i mean stuff (laughs) but nothing worth reporting watching the second season of 13 reasons why but i just don't think it's very good
0: oh that's a shame. So
1: that's not really worth it. And yeah,
0: I'm, I'm watching it, aren't I? Still watching so it, oh, aren't you? You're still watching it. So I think that's it for this week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so you. Polite. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next week. Yes. Bye.